On this week's episode of the Wealth Collective podcast, we have an in-depth investment market update with Brad Matthews, and then Pete and I take a deeper look into the world of alternative investments. Hope you enjoy. Everything we talk about on today's podcast is general advice only because we don't know your individual personal situation. Before you act on anything we've spoken about, you should chat to your financial advisor. And if you don't have one, feel free to reach out to us. Now, on to today's show. So I'm joined in the studio today by Brad Matthews. Uh, so he's here to talk a little bit about the investment side of you know, how he's positioning portfolios and uh, how he's thinking about the world at large. Because it does seem like we're getting more and more inquiries from clients about the risk of a recession. Um, so, Brad, are you sort of um, how are you thinking and how are you viewing the world at the moment? Uh, good day, Pete. Yeah, we're, we're certainly seeing evidence of a slowdown in growth, both globally and domestically. Uh, there was a couple of economies posting negative growth numbers in the June quarter. Um, so, there, there are there are signs and evidence of a of a slowdown in in place. Um, whether it, it transitions into a full fully blown recession. Um, we don't know, um, but in terms of a central scenario, my my expectation is that we will avoid a recession at least for the next twelve to eighteen months. Um, there, there still is a lot of growth momentum in the U.S. economy. Yeah, um, that, is that, that coming from like monetary stimulus or sort of where how, where's this growth coming from or what's the engine of that's pushing this forward? Uh, it it partly is stimulatory monetary policy, yeah, uh, and and monetary policy has been extremely accommodative uh, with with exceptionally low interest rates. So that yeah. that that certainly certainly helps. Um, the the lack of inflation and the lack of cost pressure uh, also enables businesses um, to perform pretty well. Yeah, um, uh, and therefore because we we don't have a whole lot of wages growth, uh, in, employment has been reasonably strong across. Uh, most developed economies, uh, which means you haven't had a rise in unemployment, uh, and a rise in unemployment is 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 one of the key factors in a in a recessionary environment, because yeah. uh, that leads to um, uh, sharp reductions in expenditure and so on. Yeah. So we're not not in that sort of environment um, at the moment, but there there are indications of a of a slowdown. Uh, domestically, we're coming off the the housing boom. Housing construction is is starting to fall away, although we we do have a couple of um, factors domestically that will help keep us out of recession in the shorter term. Okay. Uh, one of those being the um, the tax rebates coming into play over the, the September and December quarter. Uh, we still do have exceptionally strong trade accounts as yeah. well, so there is a, a positive contribution to the Australian economy from from exports at the moment, and also the possibility that the Commonwealth government will uh, step in uh, with with some sort of infrastructure spending program uh, yeah. that that may may be a, a factor that. Um, helps the economy out over the next six to 12 months. Yeah, and infrastructure is one that creates jobs similar to that that housing sort of boom that sort of fed a lot of jobs there. Um, and I know retailers were doing pretty well. I know JB Hi-Fi posted some good numbers with a few of those tax, um, those tax rebates going out there and sort of people buying, is it plasma TVs or... Yeah, well, they, or iPads or new iPhones out as well, so they might be sort of uh, splurging on that. It's probably the one, one of the one area of surprise in the uh, in the latest round of profit results um, yeah. for the period ended June that the retailers actually did quite a bit better than than expected, uh, and that was that was an area of strength for the market. Yeah, and then trade tensions. That what's going on with US and China is that 
is that a, an added risk factor that's sort of playing in terms of global recession fears or um, are we largely immune to it in Australia? Uh, look, I, I think this is the number one risk for the global economy is the impact of the the escalation in tariffs. I think it's uh, certainly bad for the global economy and, 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 and bad for the two economies involved, being, being the US and, and China. Um, it takes a long time to play out in terms of the effect of that. Um, but I think if we are looking at a, a longer term program of higher trade protection between the world's two biggest economies, uh, then that is bad for economic growth uh, and ultimately will be bad for company earnings. Uh, so hopefully there is a there is a resolution at some point, yeah. uh, but I, I think it is the number one risk to uh, global economic growth at the moment. Uh, Australia is not immune because we do rely so heavily on China yeah. uh, for our exports. And um, if, if the trade dispute worsens the economic growth position of China, then that starts to affect both the, the quantity of demand for our exports and also the prices that we would receive for them. Yeah. Nice. And then as a result of that, like it seems to be the trade, those trade fears have really caused a hell of a lot of volatility. So um, comparing it sort of if we go back even 24 months, um, the volatility indexes have spiked substantially and sort of remained at that higher level. Uh, in terms of what you're seeing or sort of what some of the clients you work with are doing to sort of moderate that equity risk, uh, um, what are you doing in portfolios or what are you seeing as sort of ways to manage that risk or diversify? Yeah, look, it is getting harder and harder. Um, the, the there still is a a decent earnings yield there on equities. So equities are still attractive in the sense that um, uh, companies are producing good profits. Uh, valuations aren't excessive at the moment, particularly when you compare them to bond yields. Yeah. Um, but in terms of trying to make the portfolio more defensive and protect against a potential downturn, the traditional place you would have normally would have gone would be government bonds and and fixed interest. Yeah. Um, but yields there are so low, their ability to provide protection has, has been lessened. Yeah, because even uh, clients going into turn deposits or things like that directly, they, there's just not, like you're barely keeping you know, keeping pace with the cost of you know, living. So That's um, right, yeah. Less yeah. sub 2% for turn deposits. Um, bonds are sort of heading towards zero almost. So um, like where else, where else can you sort of go as a bit of a... A safe haven, but obviously you might need to take some risk. I'm imagining to get some decent return. Yeah, look, I, I think increasingly what we call alternatives, the, the asset class of alternatives, becomes more more important in this, in this sort of environment. Um, the, these are investments that aren't correlated to equities or bonds, yeah, um, but have an independent return profile, uh, which is really determined by manager skill um, and the different strategies managers employ to make returns. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a wide variety of alternative strategies yeah. from, from hedge funds to uh, to manage futures, global macro. Jeez, um, you're going to confuse a lot of our listeners out. So I've been doing this a while and these things still confuse me. So. Yeah, and, and, and that, that's what makes them difficult. Yeah. Um, but they are strategies which have independent return profiles. So uh, I think they will become more important over time. Yeah. Um, as an alternative to to traditional defensive assets, um, but they are not they're not purely defensive assets, and so it, it does require some level of understanding in in terms of putting a portfolio together um, uh, where you do use alternatives. But at the end of the day, it does provide another source of diversification for the portfolio, which I think in a very low interest rate environment um, is needed. Yeah, and I think we're hearing more and more of like the future funds got a fair, like a healthy weighting to alternatives. A lot of the industry funds are, like infrastructure sometimes falls in that alternative bucket as well. 
Um, so I think that something different other than equities makes sense because, yeah, you want to you want to have somewhere that gives you a little bit of a different return profile. I imagine that's um, right. You can't you can't have all your wealth tied to one asset class. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in terms of how do people access these sort of investments, is that done directly or are you having to go through sort of a managed vehicle or can you buy them on the, you know, the stock exchange? Like how do you, how does someone go about these things or yeah, what well, options are out there? Generally, you need to go through a pooled, a pooled managed fund, a, yeah. a managed fund vehicle. Uh, there's not a lot of availability of those on the stock market, so it tends to be through wholesale managed funds which are sitting on platforms or okay. um, go directly into the managed fund. Uh, but certainly they are sophisticated with professional managers. Yeah. Um, therefore, they're in a fund environment. And then upside, like can these, does it vary like what their return profiles are and the upside risk and the downside risk or do they all fit nicely in a little bucket of, you know, plus or minus 10%? Uh, no, unfortunately, that, and that's the characteristic of alternatives is, is that every strategy is unique to, to a degree. So definitely read your PDS. So that's do, right. do your research. So don't yeah. just jump in blindly because of the name that's yeah. right there'd be, there'd be some alternative strategies which you would consider to be highly volatile okay and others which are reasonably defensive yeah um and in terms of how how would someone go about doing some research on these other than obviously contacting someone like yourself or myself are there things that people can be doing just to get a, a reasonable sort of understanding for the average sort of um person out there or is it beyond the um the grasp of that, or, you know, of what someone, an average person can sort of wrap their head around. Yeah, look, I, I think if, if an advisor has provided uh, an idea around a, a few fund options, okay. then certainly reading the, the PDS disclosure, um, but also the, the fact sheets and the monthly reports of the manager yep. to get an understanding of what happens to month to month. Um, see where, where the investments are held. Okay. Um, there's, there's no shortage of information. Um, it's just a matter of being pointed to the right place. Yeah, and I think one of the good things to have a look at, if they do have a long track record, especially plus 10 years, it'd be good to know how they handled like what their drawdowns have been like. That's right, um, yeah. Because, yeah, it's all nice to look at the upside, um, but I think you could get caught with your pants down uh, if you're only focusing on the upside because you want to know what you know, how they perform in negative um, markets as well. That's right, um, yeah. And, and, and today... The risk-free rate of interest is one percent. Yeah. Um, so so their, their performance hurdles it, are pretty low then yeah. as well. <laughs> but if you want to earn more than that, you have to take risk somewhere, yeah. and it's a matter of trying to diversify the sources of that risk as much as you can. Yeah. yeah. No, very good. Well, as sort of that's, that uh, gives us something good to go on, and sort of uh, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best place to get a get a hold of you? Uh, well, I think Pete, uh, they should go by you. Yeah, and, go by uh, the advisor. Yeah, I like that's it. Right. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, you've been published in a few places. I've seen Livewire Markets, you're out there, so. Really good article. So if you want to check that out and have a bit of a read of uh, Brad's insights, that's a good place to find them as well. So thanks for your time, Brad. Really appreciate you coming down. And um, yeah, we'll uh, catch up with you again next month. Thanks, mate. Well, we're back. Um, Brad's out of the building, so we can speak freely uh, without him here <laughs> and really sort of um, yeah, unpack some of those concepts that he was talking about. Because alternative assets something pretty passionate um, about that. So we'll do, I've got Zach here now and Zach's actually come out of the corner. Good to uh, be back. He, he was actually there <laughs> earlier, but he was sitting in silence. I was getting a bit upset being left out of the conversation. Didn't have my own microphone in there. So I was... <laughs> <laughs> might have to dial up the budget and get yeah. an extra microphone for you. Um, but yeah, yeah, we were able to put baby in the corner. So <laughs> Oh, good. So welcome back, Zach. Thank um, you. Investments. You love your investments. I love my investments. Um, yeah, it's a key foundation piece of you know, building um, you know, sustainable wealth creation plans and also retirement plans. So 
alternative assets. So why? What are they for starters? Like, what is an alternative asset? Uh, so alternative assets, uh, kind of a lot of it can be a diverse range of different strategies or different things. It's uh, things that aren't you know your typical equity buying. Really political know. answer there. Oh, <laughs> shades of grey. Oh, it's it's anything that's not a traditional asset. But it is a yeah, it is a wide range of things, and that's what we'll kind of delve into today is kind of the different alternative strategies and some of the ones that we. Uh, use and then kind of the reasons why so what are the benefits pete you might want to run through this the benefits of including alternatives in a portfolio um look i think the world's changed um so the traditional like 60 40 or 50 50 portfolio where it's just growth and defensive um i think that's been thrown out of the window a bit because we're in a really really low interest rate low inflation uh, environment and that doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon so so in the past where he would have gone um, i'll happily stick with you know, some, 40% of a portfolio in a term deposit that's Or paying, fixed income yeah, or bonds. Yeah. So a lot of those are almost negative returns now. So, yeah. um, And when you sort of adjust it for inflation, it's really hard to sort of justify having a heap of the of client's money stacked in um, things that are returning so low. So I think what alternatives do, it gives you different um, types of return. Um, and also you've got the ability to pick and choose um, you know, stuff that complements what you've got in the traditional assets you've got in the portfolio. So be it sort of you know, Australian shares, global uh, shares, property uh, and fixed income and give it a little bit more of a you know, um, you know, less correlated return. All that means that it behaves differently. Um, you, know, you won't always get perfect negative correlation where you know, if it goes up 10%, the other part of the portfolio goes down 10 But at least you've got things behaving very differently. Um, so I think that's really good. And overall, I think that's a better outcome for portfolios, which, you know, who doesn't want that? Because the idea for a lot of the alternatives in the pot um, is that they'll have lower volatility levels. Is that correct? Lower volatility, but also less drawdowns. So, you know, you want to like lower the sort of impact of drawdowns. But, you know, that's what we obsess over. Like, yes, we love making money. Like, who doesn't? But losing money is probably the, the cardinal sin. So we don't want to be, um, yeah, we don't want to be doing that. So if we can protect the downside, that's more important, especially where we're sort of in a period of, you know, we've got some like geopolitical tensions is like putting it mildly. You know, we've got Trump, we've got an election next year for in the US, we've got sort of um, trade tensions sort of, con like just like they're constantly bubbling away in the background. Don't Boris look Johnson. like- <laughs> Oh, that's that's okay. Yeah, and we thought we couldn't get anyone more volatile <laughs> than Trump. So, um, although we, you know, in Australia, we haven't had a revolving door of, um, you know, prime ministers in the last sort of six months at least. So, yeah. um, has settled <laughs> down a little bit. But yeah, ultimately, that's what it is. We don't want to give up return completely. Like you can still make positive sort of capital growth um, from these uh, investments, but you can also sort of do it where the volatility can be managed and also complement and behave a little bit differently because most people's portfolios, and I think the uh, the ATO's onto, you know, maybe there's been a, I think they sent out 18,000 letters to self-managed super fund trustees saying you're not adequately diversified. Mm. Um, so most people's portfolios are made up of the traditional assets, so shares, property, turn deposits, and cash. Yeah. Surprisingly, there's a lot of cash still in self-managed super funds, which I'm sure the banks are happy helping their profits, but it's not making anyone any money. Uh, so we've spoken a little bit about what alternatives are, but do you want to give us some examples of alternative strategies so people can get their head around um, the few different things that they can can invest in? Yeah, so look, they do fall into that that sort of 
broad bucket you spoke about, just anything that's non-traditional. Uh, but what it does cover is things like long short strategies with equities, uh, and that means you know you can make money on both sides of the um, you know upside and downside. Um, global macro strategies, so you know picking up movements in currency and sort of commodities as well. Managed futures are probably the ones that are, a lot of people have maybe experienced in the past. Uh, they've been around for quite a while, and that's you know, a lot of a scientific approach to really trend and momentum following strategies, less focused on I guess the business fundamentals of you know trying to pick a particular stock, and more looking at the broader indices and what's moving markets. Um, but also like private equity, uh, that one's quite topical because there's been a lot of big private equity uh, unicorns, so uh, with the sort of billion dollar valuation before they go public. Um, so I know like Spotify's Uber, what else has gone there? Beyond Meat, they've sort of that's been out there as well. So there's been a lot of sort of big high profile ones. Mm. Um, but the, you know these type of investments can give you access to these that are sort of not listed. Uh, private debt's a big one as well, um, and infrastructure sort of straddles. It's becoming more traditional now, but it, you know technically it is an alternative um, asset class. Uh, so what has the returns for these been like? in the past so it's like how big is the disclaimer here like (laughs) (laughs) there's so many broad strategies that's a that's a ridiculous question how long is a piece of string it is like it could be anything like what do you um but it literally could be anything uh and i think that's probably important to note that these are all different strategies just like if you you know pick line up against the wall 100 sort of global equity managers they're all going to have different return profiles Uh, and because these are so varied it's almost like it's not comparing apples and mandarins. It's comparing apples and cheese. Um, they go well together, but you're probably you know, not a fair comparison. Um, but yeah, like in terms of it really depends on how much risk you're going to take. So we've kind of talked up um, alternatives now. So how can people get access to alternatives? Is it something they go out and get themselves or are there funds available? How do they, how do they go about it? Well, it really depends on who they are, how much money they've got, um, and level of sophistication. Um, for the for mo- the majority of the population, you'd be accessing these on the stock exchange through an exchange traded fund or through a traditional managed fund. Uh, there are more of them available just because of the the nature of um, yeah the history of how sort of alternatives sort of formed and the market has been. Um, that most of the, you're going to have a, a much bigger universe by accessing it through um, traditional managed funds, which can be done via most um, investment wraps or your super provider, um, would be the best way. If you're a sophisticated investor and you can get a sort of that signed off by your accountant, um, you could actually go out and do this stuff yourself. Like you can go trade commodities, you can go trade future contracts, you can get involved in private debt. Um, would I recommend doing that for the? Um, like everyday Australian, probably not. Like I wouldn't do that personally because you need a real um, wealth of expertise and also like how are you going to sort of vet, have, get access to these markets? You need a hell of a lot of, you need a bank, bank account. the door, yeah, as well. And this, like you were saying before, like a lot of the fund managers that we use have a lot of PhDs sitting in there, you know, doing yeah. a lot of data analysis and different things like that. Yeah, it's different skill sets. So it's not like just looking at a, you know, a, a, the profit and loss of a business or the company reports it's a much different sort of um skill set required especially for some of these like for the you know traditional hedge fund managers that are looking at you know managed future contracts and commodity prices you you can't sort of know everything so i would definitely be out recommending to sort of people outsource this do your research pick funds that have a long proven track record um and probably sort of a you know some parting advice if you're humor me 
would be don't overreact and um i don't know throw the baby out with the bathwater in periods of low performance because i know hedge funds have actually underperformed the last 10 years and that's because equity markets have been doing so well yeah so it's actually doing its job diversifying in your portfolio it's frustrating though because you're looking at it going hang on why don't well, i just put it all in shares equities. yeah yeah well um you know hindsight's 2020 and if i had have known that well yeah we would have gone 100 percent, but we also don't have a crystal ball going forward so i think you need to um set your allocation correctly be diversified in your approach don't necessarily just pick one type of alternatives um exposure maybe sort of you know build a basket uh to give you some you know because you still want them to be uncorrelated to each other as well so um yeah be you know be disciplined be patient because um, when the market turns, that's when you'll know whether the strategy makes sense, not necessarily where we've got sort of positive um, equity markets. And, pop, you know, we've had positive property markets as well. Awesome. So if you guys, did you have anything else before I winded up, Ashley, Pete? Do you have anything uh, else you want to add on alternatives? Or? No, I think look, that's it. Like, yeah, it, they're there for a reason. I think, you know, I think it's widely known that they're, you know, more and more important. I think the future fund's a good example of it getting used more and more. Uh, but also like industry funds are sort of um, have a significant amount of their um, investment strategy dedicated to alternatives as well. So I think we're, we're not uncovering anything necessarily new, but I think um, if you are do have some control over the investment decisions you're making, definitely give some sort of, um, you know, give it a fair, fair look over um, and sort of see if it sort of fits within your portfolio mix. That's it. Thanks for that, Pete. So as always, if you've got any questions, email us at connect at or hit us up on any of our socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, any of those that we're on. Um, and also we'll be having Brad on probably every two months or so. Oh, hopefully every month. Or what's it? What else? He's, he's in Sydney and getting down to <laughs> sunny Melbourne. Um, so if you have any questions uh, specifically for Brad, feel free to send them through and we'll ask them um, whenever he comes in. And then we might do a uh, next week on how to how you want to spend $150 million after the, the Powerball That's draw, it, yeah, I'd good imagine. Good luck, everyone, if you've got a ticket. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Wealth Collective podcast. You can get in touch with us and send any questions to connect at picarda.com.au or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter. If you have enjoyed this, then please subscribe and five-star us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast service. Until next time, live well and be prosperous.